Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison, the state as their captor. The prison begins after, uh, after slavery. You know, you had all these people on all these plantations, all these farms, who are making money. America is built on the exploitation of black labor. America is built on slave labor. So slavery ends, and suddenly the slave codes turn into black codes, right? Because the 13th Amendment abolishes slavery, right? But it only abolishes slavery except under the condition of prison. In other words, if you commit a crime, if you're incarcerated, according to the 13th Amendment, slavery is still allowed. So you're technically a slave if you're in prison. Absolutely. You can legally be told what to do. Your labor can be forced, etc. So if, if, no, if, if nobody's a, if you, So think about it like this. You need slaves to keep the economy going. You don't have slaves anymore unless people commit a crime. So what do you do? You make everything a crime. So suddenly the slave codes became the black code. So now black people can be arrested for vagrancy, for standing outside, for cursing in front of a woman, for being out of town without a job. All of these things, which are fairly arbitrary crimes, or if crimes at all, they take them and they throw them back into the prison. And then they have something called the convict lease system, where the prison can lease the convicts out to the same plantations they left to do the same work that they did as slaves. So now the slaves have become free only to become slaves again through prison. And that is the system that we're dealing with right now, a, a, a new version of the convict lease system. And that's why labor is exploited, and that's why prisons have become even more for profit. That's why we see more privatization, because people make money money in this country on exploited labor, and this is one example. Change your mind. Stop calling it the things that it is not. It's not mass incarceration. It's not all those things I mentioned before. What is it? Slavery. What do we want to hand? Slavery. What are we fighting? Slavery. You just heard the breakdown of modern legal slavery from Mark Lamont Hill on Vlad TV. The last quote was from myself in Washington, D.C. at Freedom Plaza as a keynote speaker during the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March on August 19, 2017. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard, 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org. My name is Max Parthas, and I'm joined by my co-host, as always, Yusuf Hassan. What's up, Yusuf? Hey, peace, Max. Peace and blessings be upon you and our entire listening audience around the world. Amen. Last week, we pointed fingers like Frieza from DBZ and blamed the presidents for legalized slavery. This week, we'll be reflecting on what we've listened to for the last uh, five months now. We're also going to dig deeply into Frederick Douglass's final summations, his predictions, and his warnings to the American people. Tonight, we'll also introduce our new Bridging the Gap segment. We'll update you on the national slavery abolitionist efforts and, of course, we've got some awesome moving musical and poetic contributions to the Abolitionist Music Playlist. 
We've got uh, a few more announcements to make, but before that, uh, let's hear from Brother Yusuf. How's your week been, man? It's been a great week, Max. Uh, First, for our listeners, we'd like to uh, welcome in some new listeners from Melbourne, Australia. You know, it's a couple of listeners out there that told me that they'd be uh, chiming in. So welcome to Abolition Today. Also, Abolition Today is now available on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. So that's a great congratulations to us for being able to accomplish that and get them on there. And I'm actually in communication with a producer at Sirius XM Radio. So hopefully, you know, within the coming months, we'll be on XM Radio as well. Also, I had an interview with Fast Magazine, Fast Company Magazine this week. For those who aren't familiar with Fast Company Magazine, it's sort of like Forbes Magazine for technology. And so at the Center of Justice and uh, Justice Through Code at Columbia University, myself and the program director interviewed with them for about 40 minutes or so. Of course, we're going to get chopped down to, I don't know, maybe 15 minutes. But we went on and, you know, talked about, what we talk about here on the program each week, you know, dealing with uh, racism, dealing with 13th Amendment, dealing with slavery, you know, all of these things we mentioned in there, as well as the program that we have going over there. Hopefully we can get some of the 13th Amendment into the broadcast. But that's my that's my update for the week at the moment, Max. Well, that's pretty cool, man. Uh, I love hearing positive things like that. Uh, Speaking of, there was another uh, situation regarding the 13th Amendment with Ice Cube recently. You know, he wrote this thing that he's calling a contract with Black America, and he was on the Breakfast Club recently doing an interview, and during that, he started talking about the 13th Amendment allowing slavery. He didn't really go into detail. I wish he would have more. But after reading the document, I see that what he needs is some guidance. He's probably heard it from a few people, and he hasn't really grasped it fully because if he did, it would be at the top of his list in the main conversation, you know what I mean? So I just think he needs some guidance. I do want to say thank you to all of the people I reached out to in uh, social media posts and asked them to go and put something on the page at his site, uh, which is icecube.com, underneath the contract with Black America, and let them know that you want to hear more about that 13th Amendment, that you really should get into that. Because that's not just something you casually mention and keep it moving. You know what I mean? It right. really is at the top of it. So a lot of people did that, and I appreciate everyone who did. Um, I do want to say that, you know, the last time I was on the air here, my sister passed away a couple weeks ago. And um, I want to thank everybody for your support and kind words and prayers uh, and for just caring. So, well, our family is uh, making it through this, but we are definitely at a major loss. So thank you. Thank you very much. Yusuf? And, Max, I'd like to uh, also announce that next week our guest will be Kyle Canty. In 2015, Kyle sought and applied for asylum in Canada because of systemic racial oppression in America. His story went viral and was published on multiple international outlets. There's a reason we're bringing him on Abolition Today to tell his story. Stay tuned for our explosive August 9th episode. 
<laughs> Amen to that, brother. I was looking forward to that one, man. I had a long conversation yeah, me with too. that, brother. It's going to be fun. I was so excited you know, about it. I thought it was going to be on tonight's broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, we got to do the whole program. Me and him talked for like an hour, hour and a half just the other day. But we were all over the place. And, you know, with this program, we focused specifically on slavery and human trafficking as practiced through the 13th Amendment. So we're going to be going deep. There's a lot of connections here, especially because of where he went seeking asylum and what the outcome was. But I'll save that for next week. Um, I, I want to make an announcement as well that after 23 years behind bars for a crime he never committed, Prismatic Dreams author and exonerated Freeman, Ricky Kidd, will be joining abolitionists today in Sumter, South Carolina, at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center on August 11th during his Freedom Lab 2020 tour. That's pretty awesome. Uh, we will have that pre-recorded discussion for you on August 16th, right here on the Abolition Today. Wow, it's all kinds of stuff coming up. Uh, <laughs> we're full of announcements tonight. I'd also like to I announce know, right? the Abolition. Yeah, so we have the Abolish Slavery National Network has been born. The website Ooh. will launch on August 28th. It'll be a panel discussion on Labor Day, and they'll be premiering a major video presentation just prior to that. So congratulations to everyone involved in this historic undertaking, of which you and I are also part of this. Yeah, that is awesome, man. There's a national – it's a Abolish Slavery National Network, and that is just awesome to hear. Right. Um, I was reading one of Dennis Feeble's uh, posts where he was saying is. One state down, four on the board, and 29 to go. I'm like, look at this, man. We got. He's talking about 30 states being involved in this. That is amazing. And that's yeah, just where he's coming from, using the insertion of anti-slavery language into state constitutions. But also, <laughs> we had a conversation with our brother Jamoke uh, a couple of days ago, you and I and everybody else that are part of it. And uh, he is, his example from Colorado is to remove those exception clauses that already exist. So we got both ends of the spectrum covered, and every state in the union can get involved. Absolutely. It's a, it's a huge undertaking, and it's a major step towards the ultimate goal of having the 13th Amendment actually repealed and replaced to remove the exception clause from the United States Constitution. Right. Like, how is that a hard argument? We want to take post-slavery language out of our Constitution. How is that a hard argument? Like, why do you got to convince people of that? But that's okay. Uh, one more uh, announcement is we got this huge media project sponsored by Prismatic Dreams and the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Centers coming up. And we're going to need about 40 volunteers to contribute 30 seconds of their time. So be sure to follow us on Facebook at Abolition Today as well as following uh, both the hosts on their personal social media uh, pages, Twitter and Facebook, myself and Yusuf. So uh, look out for the information on that. We're going to need some help, and uh, we're looking for a lot of volunteers to get involved. Yusuf? Yeah, and I sort of jumped the gun in announcing, you know, Abolition Today being on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. But we'd also like everyone to go there and make sure you follow us. It's called Abolition Today. Follow us on iTunes, follow us on Spotify, and on Stitcher for those who use it. And I'm curious as to whether or not 
it's actually broadcasting live at the moment. That's something that I wasn't aware of, of whether or not we'd be broadcasting live. So I'm kind of like going to the page right now looking to see if I see it there. And it doesn't look like uh, Spotify is broadcasting live. So I'll look into whether there's something else that needs to be done in order for it to be live broadcast. Same thing with uh, iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, well, in the meantime, I'll start building up to uh, what we have special for today. Today, And that is the summation of the past 19 weeks of listening to Ozzie Davis reads Frederick Douglass. And when I say the summation, I mean his final comments post-emancipation, uh, post-13th Amendment on exactly what we were dealing with and what is coming next. Uh, it's been an amazing ride listening to Frederick Douglass uh, for the past 19 weeks and being able to think about the things that he has uh, said and expressed and described. There's so many points that stood out to me. I remember the first time Lincoln lied to him was the first time he met Lincoln. <laughs> and, you know, he didn't want to disparage Abraham Lincoln because of the work that Lincoln was doing, but he was very clear about how uh, Lincoln was screwing them over in the long run. Uh, you know, he talked about how, for instance, black soldiers weren't even getting paid. Lincoln had the nerve to tell Frederick Douglass that they should be doing it for free because it's for their freedom. So they should be happy that we letting them fight. And it was amazing. This guy was straight racist with it and expressed that to uh, Frederick Douglass. So there was a lot of points that stood out for me. That was just one. What, what about you, uh, Yusuf? Anything that stood out for you over these past five months? You know, it was it was so many. You know, one thing that really stood out to me though is as we were as we were doing our preparations for each broadcast, without even hearing what Frederick Douglass was gonna address in the next episode, it seemed that the occurrences and the themes of our episodes were in lockstep with the progression of his of this narrative that he's telling, of this story. You know, one of the ones that really jumped out at me is when he got around, I want to say, part nine and part ten, when he's talking about by any means necessary, and he's explaining mm -hmm. when it comes to gaining freedom and equality, any tool in the shed will do, and despite what you heard, the Constitution is a mighty effective tool. You know, so mm -hmm. that really jumped out at me because I was like, wow, this is exactly what's going on right now. You know, just right in tune right. with everything that's happening. Uh, uh, there was some points where he was so in sync that instead of trying to decide what it is we were going to do on our own for the next week's program, we let him decide. We're like, okay, well, what is Frederick talking about this week? Because he has been, <laughs> if not exactly on point with current events, but sometimes a few weeks ahead, we would see what he was experiencing being reflected in today's time. Uh, you know, as I always say, history is a synonym. The same crap smells differently. And here <laughs> we are smelling some new crap. <laughs> or the same right. crap smells smell differently. Um, smell but yeah, different. man, there was so many points that, that really struck me as profound. I remember, and I mentioned this to you, when he explained, how the fugitive slave laws were defeated by the fugitives themselves. 
because the racist slavers were basically cowards at heart. So as soon as the fugitive slaves began to defend themselves and be willing to kill somebody, uh, they were all gung-ho. But as soon as that happened, the whole situation changed. They were like, no, we can't be doing that. They might kill us. Uh, Frederick explained in the story, he said, where a black family came to his home in Rochester, Rochester, New York, and on the Mm -hmm. way there, being hunted by slave catchers, they shot one who was the father, wounded the son, and then chased off with gunfire five or six other would-be policemen and made it to the north to his house. And he said, I can't look at them as murderers, even though that's what they're being labeled as. They were fighting for freedom for all of us and themselves, and those very same men who had them already enslaved would brutalize or murder them on the spot. So what they were doing was justified. That was profound for me, man. Yeah, and, you know, when he had the one, the three boxes, where he talked about, you know, the voting Mm -hmm. box, cartridge box, and, of course, the coffin. And that made me reflect on, you know, his his most – one of his most famous sayings where he says, you know, if there's no struggle, there's no progress. And the full statement, like, we take that statement in context. I'll just briefly say what he said. It's really just a paragraph where he said – this struggle must be a moral one, or it may be a physical one, or it may be both moral and physical, but it must be a struggle. Power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did, and it never will. Find out just what any people will quietly submit to, and you have found out the exact nature of injustice and wrong which will be imposed upon them, and these will continue till they are resisted with either words or blows or with both. The limits of tyrants are prescribed by the endurance of those whom they oppress. In the light of these ideas, Negroes will be hunted at the North and held and flogged at the South so long as they submit to those devilish outrages and make no resistance, either moral or physical. Men may not get all the pay for it, all they pay for in this world, but they must certainly pay for all they get. If we ever get free from the oppressions and wrongs heaped upon us, we must pay for their removal. We must do this by labor, by suffering, by sacrifice, or if it needs be, by our lives and the lives of others. You know, Max? Real as it gets, brother. Yeah, man. Uh, You know, the week that we did do what Frederick wanted us to do was the week that uh, I believe the title of the program was, uh, it was our martyrs. What was that called? That program about the martyrs, martyrs uh, of the martyrs movement. of the movement. Yes, yes, because yeah. he was telling Week us 14. about the well, lives that had been spent. Mm-hmm. Right, that was martyrs of John the movement. Yeah, that was John him. Brown's body. Right, John Brown's body. That was a powerful presentation too, with John Brown's body and what he went through. Uh, one of the other things that stood out for me was his relationship with William Lloyd Garrison. You know, William Lloyd Garrison took him under his wing as a slavery abolitionist, but William Lloyd Garrison, at the end of the day, was still just another white racist. And and Frederick expressed that in the way he tried to control Frederick. And at times, Mm -hmm. he would take them out in these stores of anti-slavery meetings and introduce him as an animal, saying that the animal can speak. Or as his the, the slave, uh, never really as a person. They were exploiting him when he was far more eloquent 
and understanding of the circumstance than they were. And how could they be? They were not slaves. He had lived that life. And he was far more uh, descriptive about it and knew more about it. So uh, it was offensive the way they treated him as alleged allies, uh, by his own words. And then I, I remember the breakaway when he started realizing, again, put our dreams and hopes and, and wishes in the hands of these white men. We just can't do it. No matter how well uh, thought or, or how compassionate they sound, they are. it's hard to break your own uh, historical or cultural upbringing. It's just real hard to do that. And that was the case right. with William Lloyd Garrison. Uh, he was like, you yeah, know, I think I, we need to secede from the states. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, sorry, I think I was, that I was, was uh, no, 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 you were right on what I was getting ready to say. That's uh, dealing yeah. with uh, part 11 that we covered in episode 12, Blood Money, part two. Uh-huh. Uh, In which he realized that despite Garrison's gospel of peaceful resistance, slavery cannot be ended without bloodshed, and everyone must be a soldier. So Frederick was making it clear, you know, that Mm -hmm. you know that peaceful resistance is not gonna is not gonna work. And of course, it goes back to the power concedes nothing without a demand. You know, it just right. It's it's unfathomable. It is just. You know, because you're you're asking someone who's doing something so immoral to find morality within themselves, and it's just not going to happen. Yeah. So that's very much true. Yeah, man. That that was a. And I remember the the difference in opinions of the Constitution as well, whereas Garrison called it a a contract with the devil. Uh, Frederick said, "Look at it." Nowhere in it does it say anything about um, a race of black people or slavery. It says that all men, the Declaration of Independence says all men created equal, right? So as a tool, it works because it's there. You can use that as a legal tool. But if there's nobody to enforce the rights within there, then that's a problem. And that's the problem they had then. So even though the Declaration of Independence said all men are created equal, it did not include physically anybody that was non-white. Right, because we weren't considered men at the time. Right, three-fifths of a person, and then before that we were property. Uh, So it it, it was true in word, but false in deed. And that's very much what we're seeing here nowadays. You know, it's... we have these laws on the books to protect us, but there's nobody to enforce those laws or to protect those rights. We scream at policemen, I know my rights, and they're like, we don't give a damn about your rights. And there's right. nothing that we can do about that. It's, it's gotten to the point where now people expect you to challenge it in court. Just go ahead and let them uh, violate your rights. Just go ahead and let them treat you like an animal. Let's just go ahead and let them do all of that. Endure it. And then in six months or a year or two years, you might get a court case about it. <laughs> that's not <laughs> right. how it should work, man. That's, not, that's definitely not how it works. Yeah, so, it's definitely not how it works. Out for you? Any other there are, yeah. but I don't want to get ahead of what we're going to play right now. Because some of my comments have to do with what we're getting ready to listen to. Well, another one that did stand out for me was the day he realized that, you know, I can kick this dude's ass. I don't know why I'm a slave over here, because I can and will and kick his ass and anybody else's ass that want to step to me. 
Remember that? <laughs> His old master yeah. came up in the barn talking about what yeah. he was going to do. And the two of them fought <laughs> like an hour. <laughs> and Brother said, I got right. the best of that. And that was the moment he realized, this brother, this man don't own me. <laughs> I will give right. him the boot so quick. And then he, he moved out. And, you know, well, not moved out, but he, he escaped from uh, at that point with that same emotion always there. Like, I'll kick one of these people's asses over here. He just don't know. He was a gangster. Frederick was a gangster. And right, of course, and the see, that's what, segment. Yeah. And, and that, that's what I was getting ready to say, too. See, we're thinking just alike, man. And when, in episode 13, when we dealt with the revolution will be criminalized, and we think of John Brown's plan and how the fallout that came from there, you know, Anytime people lead a resistance or want to resist, the first thing it has done is that they've been they criminalized them, and that takes the public opinion away from supporting the oppressor. What is this saying that Malcolm X had that the newspapers will have you hating the people who are being oppressed and supporting the oppressor? You know, I'm paraphrasing, but that's the gist of what Malcolm's uh, quote is, and so that's what we've seen happen. Time and time again, and he laid that out clearly in in the episode dealing with John Brown's plan. When he established the North Star, that was another standout uh, part. And you know, we understood based on what he had been saying already that the reason he was doing that is because William Lloyd Garrison's deliberator was trying to control the narrative completely uh, about how these things should be dealt with and who should speak and about what. And Frederick was like, no, nah, I'm going to make my own. <laughs> and he did with the help of uh, people in Europe. Europe gave a lot of help to Frederick throughout his uh, experiences in that particular autobiography. Uh, he would go there when things were at their worst, or uh, he would summon on some help, and they would send it to him. So Europe and Canada were big allies uh, during that period for him. It- and for many others, and I find that kind of baffling, considering, you know, what what was going on at the time. Like I've, I've always found that baffling. I never really studied deep into it as to what was the motivation behind uh, Britain and Canada being involved on that level. Like, what was their motivation? What was in it for them, basically? You know, because, uh, you know, we hear, you know, many people have gone over there, that that's, that's the place they seem to go. And it just, yeah, like I said, I never really studied into it to see what was the, why they were going and what benefit it was to those who were assisting them. Maybe you I believe know it was just people who believed in freedom. They didn't have uh, slavery there, as we had it here in the United States, chattel slavery in that form. They, they didn't have that going on, but they did have a genocide of their own going on with the natives there in Canada. And even to this day, right. uh, I believe the largest percentage of people who are incarcerated in Canada prisons are uh, the aboriginals. So there's still something going on there. But, you know, there's so many things, like I said, stand out for this whole series of five months that we've listened to, and uh, I've made a lot of it a, a part of my understanding of the world around me now and how to react to certain things, you know? Frederick always right. kept his cool, man, even in the heart of everything. He kept his cool, 
and he was very good about considering the circumstances. So he could uh, not only understand it, but also be able, as an orator, to present it to others very clearly. A lot of the things we're dealing with now didn't exist in the names as we know them uh, now. So back then it was a whole different scenario. Uh, And he had to try to explain how this would uh, happen over the next generations if we did not change our ways. Uh, Well, anyway, I'm like you, brother. I'm about to get ahead of us. Let's all listen together to this uh, final summation from Frederick Douglass. And uh, Yusuf, you you got the intro. Okay. uh, I've lost my notes. Oh, here we are. So our final installment for after 19 weeks of study and reflection on the ancestors' words in our Bridging the Gap series, this series came from Autobiography of Frederick Douglass. Ozzie Davis reads excerpts from Frederick Douglass's autobiography, edited by Dr. Philip Foner, available on Amazon. The Max Mix that you're about to hear features clips from Damien Jr. Gong Marley, and the song is entitled Sleeve Mill, American God's Anansi Speech, the story of black people, and music by Fela Anikulapo Kuti, Feli Kuti, Sorrow, Tears, and Blood. Did something go wrong? I'm not hearing anything. Abolition. 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 With this warning to the American people, I bring my story to its end. What men want and what they will, working for a dollar bill, try to see the old slave mill, grinding slow but grinding still. Walking home, a youth gets killed. Police free to shoot at will. Start to see the old slave mill. Grinding slow, but grinding still. Nine to five, you know the drill. Weekends are a short-lived thrill. Start to see the old slave mill. Grinding slow, but grinding still. Cover on it over till it's still. Take until they've had their fill. Sure hurts to see the old slave mill <laughs> Grinding slow but grinding still grinding A new pattern of oppression replacing the old slave system was growing up in the south. The plantation owners, shorn of their source of power by emancipation, devised new methods of reducing the freedman to a state of peonage that would keep him bound hand and foot to the plantation. Terrorist societies, such as the Ku Klux Klan, swept down upon Negroes who dared to protest the violation of their rights. Any Negro community which sought to defend its civil liberties soon found its churches and schools a smoking shambles. Soon, as a result of this terror, the constitutional amendments adopted after the Civil War became little better than a mockery of freedom. 
When I met delegates at Negro conventions who had lived through the horrors of seeing their families massacred, their churches and schools burned to the ground, and their homes left in smoke and ruins, I realized the ridiculousness of the contention that my work was over. Constitutional amendments guaranteeing the Negro equality and fair play looked very well in print, I reminded my friends. But law on the statute book and law and the practice of the nation are two very different things and sometimes very opposite things. What were the 14th and 15th Amendments worth to the victims of the Klan terror? What did the ballot mean to men reduced to a state of peonage? At the South, I argued in speech after speech, the Negro dependent upon his enemy for his daily bread cannot long vote or act contrary to the will of those to whom he must necessarily look for food and raiment which he must have. It is a grand thing to have rights secured by constitutional provisions and by legal enactments, but without a public opinion and the government to enforce them, they are a mockery. To be one half freeman and the other half slave, to be a citizen and yet treated as an alien, to be a man and yet not be a man among men may do for monsters, but not for genuine manhood. To those who called for a halt to agitation on the Negro question, I replied, we certainly hope that the time will come when the colored man in America shall cease to require the special efforts to guard these rights and advance their interests as a class. But that time has not yet come and is not even at the door. When the doors of nearly every workshop in the land are closed against the colored race and the highest callings open to them are of a menial character, while a colored gentleman is compelled to walk the streets of our large cities like New York unable to obtain admission to public hotels, while staterooms are refused in our steamboats and berths are refused in our sleeping cars on account of color, and the Negro is a byword and a hissing at every corner, the Negro is not abolished as a degraded caste nor need his friends shut up shop and cease to make his advancement in the scale of civilized life a special work. Abolition. Abolition. Once upon a time, a man got fucked. Now, how is that for a story? Because that's the story of black people in America. You all don't know you black yet. You think you just people. Let me be the first to tell you that you are all black. The moment these dust motherfuckers set foot here and decided they white, and you get to be black, and that's the nice name they call you. Let me paint a picture of what's waiting for you on the shore. You arrive in America. Land of opportunity, milk and honey, and guess what? You all get to be slaves. Split up, sold off, and worked to death. The lucky ones get Sunday off to sleep and fuck and make most slaves and all for what? For cotton, indigo, for a fucking purple shirt. 
The only good news is the tobacco your grandkids are gonna farm for free. It's gonna give a shitload of these white motherfuckers can. And I ain't even started yet. A hundred years later, you're fucked. A hundred years after that, fucked. A hundred years after you get free, you still getting fucked out of job and shot at by police. You see what I'm saying? This guy gets it. I like him. He's getting angry. Angry is good. Warning to the American people, I bring my story to its end. To be one half freeman and the other half slave, to be a citizen and yet treated as an alien, to be a man and yet not be a man among men may do for monsters, but not for genuine manhood. Abolition. 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 All right. Uh, you just heard the summation. <laughs> Ozzy Davis reads Frederick Douglass, uh, our final installment at the 19 weeks. And uh, that's is available on Amazon.com. At least the whole series is, not the Max Mix. You can only get that here at Abolition today. You sir? <laughs> I'm sad, Max. Seriously, man. You what? I'm really sad that that's, that segment is over, man. It was just so yeah. much to you Remember the first thing I said to you when you were like, it's the end. Oh, is there a part three? You know? Oh, man. <laughs> Because it was so much to learn from that. And yeah, well, I know we're going to take, take a dive on it, right? Yeah, yeah. We're going to dig in the deep, deeply into what he just said. I mean, this was like a, a prophet telling you, here's the situation. Here's where things are going. You've already heard me tell you how it's been. 
here's what's going to happen if we don't do this. And it, 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 you know, he really, the video that I, we presented, which is available on our social media pages as well as our YouTube page, really breaks it down with visual aspects of modern society going through those very things he was talking about. So we could see his words in real life happening today. Um, but I do want to uh, point out some other parts of the, the that pr- presentation. First of all, shout out to my man, Damien uh, Jr. Gong Marley with the slave mill. That was a, a heck of a way to open it up. That was Tribal Rain's suggestion. I was like, wow, yeah, she's right. That's nice way to bring it in. He broke it down. Uh, and the American God speech from Orlando Jones, considering what he's been through with them, I thought that was fitting. Uh, it was uh, some adult language involved in there, uh, but as we have said time and time again, this is PG-13. We just don't want to censor artists who are presenting truth. And if the word fits, it's supposed to fit. That's what they're using it for. Trust me when I say we're selective on what we choose. Uh, if you hear this, this, these types of uh, language from us, it's because that's what's supposed to be there. <laughs> what would you have right. said, for instance, listener? You know what I mean? Considering the circumstance. Right. And that, that showed the monster side that Frederick was mentioning. You know, that may fit for monsters, but not for real people who, you know, natives of this land and citizens. It doesn't work for us. Anyway, um, I'm going to pass the mic back to you, man. Uh, there was a lot to talk about, and we're going to do that. And then we're going to open the lines after our conversation and let uh, some of our listeners and supporters add their two cents to this mix tonight. So, Yusuf? You know, there were so many points that were made, you know, and the first thing just jumping out, hearing them say a new pattern of oppression replacing the old system, you know, that that jumped right out at at me as soon as I heard that, you know, where, oh, I see it's even a quote here, new pattern of, of oppression replacing the old slave system was growing up in the South. The plantation owners shorn of their source of power by emancipation, devised new methods of reducing the freedman to a state of peonage that will keep him bound hand and foot to the plantation. And so we all know that how that progressed was... what they did. Yeah, it, it went straight from, you know, straight from slavery in the form of chattel slavery into the form of convict leasing. That was the right. new iteration. One form of oppression right? to the other. To keep them mm-hmm. poor and bound to the to the plantation. That's exactly what they did. And continue to yeah, do. Frederick was very clear in his words about what he said. He was there at the time. This was post-emancipation, post-13th Amendment. Uh, you know, he had already told us that he was going to dedicate the rest of his life even after slavery ended because, like, he was a fool to think the 13th Amendment would stop his fight from going on because uh, there was so much more. And this is what he was watching with his own eyes happening in this country, a new pattern of oppression, replacing the old system. Uh, it, it wasn't meant to change. It just, how did Brian Stevenson says it, it evolved. <laughs> it evolved. Right. And the evolution was from the individual owning slaves to the state taking over the slave trade through their prison industry. And he called it convict leasing, which is what it was. 
Yeah, number the two, only difference. That, that, I was just adding that say? caveat. It's the only difference from the individual it's to the it's state. Only, it's the only difference. Right, and they made it legal through this damn exception clause, which is so blunt. It's right there in your face. And we owe our freedoms that we allegedly have to this 13th Amendment. Most of us have never really read it, the general population, to see what it even says. And when you do, if you don't really look and see what you're reading and, you know, let it digest, you just read through it like so many people have done, thinking and assuming that it did what it said it was supposed to do as we've been taught. But we don't look at the prison system. We don't look at the racial disparities. We don't put all of these pieces together and see this connection directly to a legal loophole. And to think if somebody in America wouldn't use a legal loophole to exploit an entire people would mean you are basically probably the most naive person in the universe. <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> so, and he mentioned in there that they had these terrorist organizations that sprang up. He said, such as the Ku Klux Klan. He didn't say specifically them, just such as them, meaning that there were many of them, just as there are many of them now. And he said that they were used to repress those who were seeking freedom from this system of slavery. And if you look right out your window now, if you were in Portland, Oregon, you'll probably see that happening in your streets right now with uh, police uh, who have no insignias and using rental cars and just snatching people off the streets. And it's happening across uh, states all across America. So you can see that happening right now. And when you think about the racist organizations that have been involved, like the Proud Boys, uh, like the Oath Keepers, and a lot of these militant organizations who, for instance, went out and did a lot of that anarchy uh, during Black Lives Matter's protests in order to cause the chaos that they did, uh, when you look at that, you, you see the police were treating them like allies. They didn't just treat them that way. They literally said it about one group that was there, armed white men in fatigues. Uh, they called them armed friendlies. Armed friendlies. They didn't say that about the brother that was marching up there in Georgia. <laughs> that, that wasn't right. an armed friendlies. So these were armed friendlies. And I've seen a policeman walk up among with other policemen to an uh, event, I believe it was with the Proud Boys, and gave him the white supremacy symbol. The policeman did. And then the white supremacists replied back with the same thing, and then the policeman went about doing his job. Like, that's where we're at right now. So you know, and these... Go ahead. Go ahead, brother. No, no, no. You go. Go. I thought you were done. That was they're the only using reason these I began terrorist speaking. organizations. The state is using them by allowing them to do these things as a way to oppress the voices of those who have finally decided no more. Well, we have to also realize that many police are part of them. I mean, it's no secret. In fact, this is part of FBI findings, and, you know, I should have had it prepared, uh, articles prepared for that for this uh, episode, but it's stuff that can easily be found, that FBI has found that many white supremacist groups have infiltrated law enforcement agencies across the country. You know, so that's no secret there. And, you know, we're going to post a, a little clip from the end of Bowling for Columbine where it shows the connection between 
the formulation of the KKK and the formulation of the NRA, you know, to show how the Second Amendment and that well-armed militia is basically talking about organizations like the KKK and as most recently talking about the Boogaloo Boys and all of them, this well-armed militia, as and we're seeing how they're playing out to assist the police in basically keeping those who will uprise against the government. See, it's on paper, it looks good, a well-armed militia that's supposed to protect the people from a tyrannous, a tyrannous government, but in reality, it's playing out to keep basically those who are not in power to keep them in check. That's how it's playing out, Max. Yeah, I'm with you. Did you want to play that quote, uh, that clip now? And then we'll continue with the rest of our, our points from the Frederick Douglass clip? Sure. It uh, comes, again, as I said, it's towards the end of the, the uh, documentary Bowling for Columbine by Michael Moore. And here it is. Now it's time for a brief history of the United States of America. Hi, boys and girls. Ready to get started? Once upon a time, there were these people in Europe called pilgrims, and they were afraid of being persecuted. So they all got in a boat and sailed to the New World where they wouldn't have to be scared ever again. Oh, I'm so relaxed. Ooh, I feel so much safer. But as soon as they arrived, they were greeted by savages, and they got scared all over again. So they killed them all. Now, you'd think wiping out a race of people would calm them down, but no. Instead, they started getting frightened of each other. Witch! Witch! So they burned witches. In 1775, they started killing the British so they could be free. And it worked, but they still didn't feel safe. So they passed a Second Amendment which said every white man could keep his gun. I love my gun. Loves my gun. Which brings us to the genius idea of slavery. You see, boys and girls, the white people back then were also afraid of doing any work. So they went to Africa, kidnapped thousands of black people, brought them back to America, and forced them to work very hard for no money. And I don't mean no money like I work at Walmart and make no money. I mean zero dollars. Nothing. Not a zip. Doing it that way made the USA the richest country in the world. So did having all that money and free help calm the white people down? No way. They got even more afraid. That's because after 200 years of slavery, the black people now outnumbered the white people in many parts of the South. Well, you can pretty much guess what came next. The slaves started rebelling. There were uprisings. An old master's head got chopped off. And when white people heard of this, they were freaking out and going, Oh, no, Lil, don't kill me, big black man. Well, just in the nick of time came Samuel Coates, who, in 1836, invented the first weapon ever that could be fired over and over without having to reload. And all the Southern whites were like, yeah! But it was too late. The North soon won the Civil War and the slaves were freed. Yep, they were free now to go chop all the old masters' heads off. And everybody was like, oh no, we're gonna die. But the freed slaves took no revenge. They just wanted to live in peace. But you couldn't convince the white people of this. So they formed the Ku Klux Klan. And in 1871, the same year the Klan became an illegal terrorist organization, another group was founded, the National Rifle Association. Soon, politicians passed one of the first gun laws, making it illegal for any black person to own one. 
It was a great year for America. The KKK and the NRA. Of course, they had nothing to do with each other, and this was just a coincidence. One group legally promoted responsible gun ownership, and the other group shot and lynched black people. And that's the way it was all the way to 1955, when a black woman broke the law by refusing to move to the back of the bus. White people just couldn't believe her. Huh? Well, I won't say no. What's going on? Man, all hell broke loose. Black people everywhere started demanding their rights, and white people had a major freaky field meltdown, and they were all like, run away, run away! And they did. They all ran fleeing to the suburbs where it was all white and safe and clean. And they went out and bought a quarter of a billion guns and put locks on the doors, alarms in the houses, and gates around the neighborhoods. And finally, they were all safe and secure and snug as a bug. And everyone lived happily ever after. Uh, that was my fault when you heard the echo there. I walked away from uh, the mic for a moment and didn't shut it off. Sorry about that. Uh, don't tell me somebody called me. Oh, I muted my... <laughs> I'm talking. And oh, okay, I, thought... I, I muted both of us. I was able to catch it, but, I, I you know, I, I muted you on the board. Oh, okay. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Because I, I ran back when I heard it outside. I had to use the restroom real quick. So when I came back, I, I heard it and tried to catch it, but you did. Anyway, um, that was uh, White Panic, that massive violence could occur after slavery, Bowling for Columbine clip. Yeah, absolutely. So you, and you, were, you were pointing out there's the actually a the clip of it. Yeah, we'll have a full clip of it up on the page. It's a little video that comes along with it. It's animated, you know, for those that have seen Bowling for Columbine. And that just always stuck with me. You know, we're talking, what is it, 20 years since that was released, at least? Right. And that's what Frederick was talking about, these terrorist organizations that were used by the state to help repress those who were seeking freedom from slavery and genocide and oppression. Because <laughs> that's what the problem is, slavery, genocide, and a systemic oppression. He said as a result of that terror that the constitutional amendments adopted after the Civil War became little better than a mockery of freedom. I'd like to go a little deeper into that. Yusuf, would you wanna st- do you want to start or should I? Well, I'll I'll just read that entire section because I wrote down exactly what he said for that whole section. He said, noting that the South, I argued in speech after speech, the Negro depended upon his enemy for daily bread, cannot long vote or act contrary to the will of those to whom he must necessarily look for food and raiment which he must have. It is a grand thing to have rights secured by constitutional provision and by legal enactment, but without a public opinion and the government to enforce them, they are a mockery. Right, a mockery. Um, without public opinion, and that would be what you see when you know. Recently, there was this 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 young man, white guy, who went who was either lived there or went to Arkansas in the city. I think it's called Harrison, and he held up a Black Lives Matter sign for a short period of time. And it must have been a couple dozen people that made it their business to assault him and insult him and throw verbal garbage at him and uh, denigrate black people as a whole throughout this whole town just because he was holding up a sign that said Black Lives Matter. Um, 
that that's the type of ideologies that we're dealing with right now. And to think that if we have these amendments, 14th, 15th, 13th, all the Bill of Rights, if those things truly apply to us, people got to care. And it, based on that video, a lot of people in certain groups do not give a damn about our oppression. As a matter of fact, they want more of it. They hate us, and they don't even know us. We Watching that video, I saw the type of venom that was thrown out, which, he, which Frederick specifically talked about in the video, where they think of us in a hissing way, make us damn niggas, you know? Mm-hmm. That's how they did We're something that they're not. Uh, so, yeah, man, that video blew my mind. We'll share it on our page. And it showed that with, if that's the idea, that's the sentiments, we don't have the public opinion on our side. But the Black Lives Matter movement seems to be changing that to a very large way and getting public opinion on our side. So you see a bunch of white moms lined up with black moms and red moms and brown moms all trying to protect the civil liberties of everybody in this country, not just those who are there right. immediately. Um, so, you know, we do see that uh, change coming, but we need now is the enforcement part. The enforcement part is not there. It's the people who are supposed to protect your rights, who swore an oath to protect your rights, are the very ones who are violating them. And the fish stinks from the head down. You were talking about, you know, uh, history of different law enforcement agencies. Every law enforcement agency in this country was founded on white supremacy. There ain't nothing new about that. Every single one of them. So if they become something else along the way, I have yet to see it. So I'm just saying with that one, man, that's how it becomes a mockery of freedom. We don't have anybody to protect our rights. So it's us that are doing it. And we're being told that we have to take it. They're giving us reasons why we should submit and comply to our rights being violated in a systemic nature. Yusuf? I feel feel you heating up, Max. So I want to pose a question that uh, Frederick posed where he said, what were the 14th and 15th Amendments worth to the victims of Klan terror? Hmm. That's a damn good question. The 14th and 15th Amendment, basically, one says that you have natural-born rights as a citizen being born here, and the other one gives you the uh, right to vote. So what do those two things mean to a person, uh, as you just said, said, who was the victims of Klan terror? Uh, it was described by Frederick as people's houses uh, being left a smoldering ruin and the churches and the schools being burned. And it's not like those things aren't happening today. During the uh, events that occurred around the Charleston 9 killing here in South Carolina, uh, which I was a part mm-hmm. of, I counted no less than six black churches being burned just during that period alone. Six black churches. Um, you know, and the schools, well, I'm sure you will find somewhere around here where these schools are being defaced, shot up, and, and, you know, you name it. So it's the same thing going on today that he was talking about. Yusuf? And my my answer to the same question would be absolutely nothing. Nothing. The 14th and 15th Mm -hmm. Amendments are worth absolutely nothing to the victims of Klan terror because the 14th and 15th, Amendments are supposedly granting them the rights, and that's a fallacy within itself. You can't grant someone something that's God-given. 
that's part of their humanity. So therefore, to the victims of Klan terror, yeah, 14th and 15th Amendment means absolutely nothing. nothing. <laughs> and that's all I have to say on that, as uh, Forrest Gump would say. That's all I have to say on that. You are absolutely right. Uh, it means nothing. If there's no protection for those, it means nothing. Um, another question that came up from him is, what did the ballot mean to men reduced to a state of peonage? Well, let's look at that in modern life. There's like 6 million or more, that's just how many they say, who have been disenfranchised because of felony charges uh, and can no longer vote in the United States. And the vast majority of them are black men who cannot vote. And what would one of them say, and I probably got some listening right now, what would they say the vote means to them? They can't do it. They can't choose to elect people in the very communities in which they pay taxes. So what does it mean to them, Yusuf? Again, it means absolutely nothing, and I'm glad that we came upon this question because I'm going to add two articles that did come up that I came across, one where Michael Jordan and Jordan Brand is announcing $2.5 million donation to combat black voter suppression, and the other one is, uh can't find it at the moment, I have it in another page, but I'll, I'll actually put it up for us, to where LeBron James has donated a certain portion towards voter suppression down in Florida for, you know, we had, we had the, the adjustment made to the, to the Florida constitution where it was going to allow them their voting rights. Again, something that shouldn't, that's, that should be just part of your humanity, not because you owe fines to the system. So those that were coming home, they won, they won the right to vote you know, to no longer be disenfranchised, only for it to be rescinded and say, you can't vote until your fines are paid off. And so, it's the same poll you know, LeBron James and others got together and they said, okay, we'll fix that. We're going to go ahead and pay off some of these fines so these brothers can vote. So that I'm is also one of that article as well. Yeah, and, you know, there was a Supreme Court ruling uh, in 2018 which allowed felons, former felons, Florida, to vote. And um, I believe it's gone through all kinds of changes since then. The government has, uh, the governor has declared that now they got to pay these fees before they're allowed to vote. And I think that went back to the Supreme Court again, who confirmed uh, that they don't have to pay this. So if LeBron and them has already been paying some money, it's still a confusing situation, but what you're seeing is voter repression, the same voter repression you saw uh, during the 1800s, the late 1800s, during the 1900s. It's, it's the same thing, the same crap smelled differently, a synonym, <laughs> you know? We're talking about 6 yeah. million-plus people that can't vote, like for real. Right. <laughs> what does this mean to them when you tell them voter die, when you tell them this is the most important election in our history. What, what does that mean to them? They're not allowed to participate. And that's right. some of the stuff it, that it means absolutely nothing about. to them. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess that, that was the, the number six on here is 
a phrase that he used, to be one half freeman and the other half slave. You said, what does that mean? So let's look at the entire uh, phrase, and maybe that'll shed a little bit more light on it, where he says to be one half freeman and the other half slave, to be a citizen and yet treated as an alien, to be a man and yet not be a man among men made do for monsters, but not for genuine manhood. So it's sort of like to be one half freeman and the other half slave. If you that's that's like saying half man and half monster or half you know some hybrid you know half man half animal. So that's why he compared it to you know whatever that is is just made to be monsters, but it's not making you a genuine man. If you're only one half free, then you're not free at all. You haven't reached your manhood because the other half of you is something that's not human. Because we know we would we were considered three fifths of a human being. So the other two fifths is what? That would be my question. If it's three fifths of a human being, what was the other two fifths considered? Mm. Uh, from for me, I have to go with when he said to be one half freeman and the other half slave. I have to think about the existence that he was in when he said that, and then it, that allows me to have a route to begin to compare to what we're seeing here today. Mm-hmm. And I believe what he was referring to was the system where you were free on paper, but not in reality. So anybody could do anything they wanted to do to you and get away with it. You had all white courts, all white juries. You had all white police forces. You had all of these different things uh, ran by people who hated you for your very existence. And so while they're like today, when a woman named Karen calls the police, she's using that as a weapon. The police are her weapon. It's the same thing they were doing back then. And it's like those who were existing during that period and us today, we all live in a environment where we, it's like we've got a lottery ticket and you carry it with you from the day you're born to the day you're dead and your number may not come up but a lot of people's numbers are coming up and it could right. happen to anyone at any point at any time so you could live your whole life free never see a prison cell or you could be one of the three young black men expected to spend one in three young black men expected to spend time in prison uh you could be one of them you know, that's half free and half slave. You, you you never know when it's going to happen. You could be doing nothing, sitting in your house, playing with your baby, walking down the street, playing in a park as a kid. It doesn't matter who you are or, 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 or what you're doing. It could happen to you. And that's the half slave, half free that I see. Like, your number could be called at any moment, any one of us. There are no exceptions to the rules, and there are no special ways to prevent yourself from being enslaved in this country. At any given point, 150 million of us can be considered criminals because there's that many books on the laws, uh, uh, laws on the books. Yusuf? I absolutely agree with you, Matt. (laughs) Yeah, I I completely agree with that. You know, and I won't even add to that because I think you nailed it. I think you nailed it right there. 
to be a citizen yet treated as an alien. I think that's all wrapped up in the same thing. You know, we're, our rights aren't respected. We're treated as aliens. We don't have the same rights as everybody else, apparently. We don't have the defense for those rights. And when we stand up to try to gain those rights or protect those rights, we're treated as the criminals. So everybody else has them, <laughs> but we don't get them. So to be a citizen and yet treated as an alien, uh, those non-voters I just mentioned, the 6 million, nobody seems to care about whether they vote or not. That's a hell of a voting block someone could have, but we don't seem to have enough politicians willing to try to get that voting block. Yusuf? Right. So he stated we oh, need you know special what, efforts. To, yeah. We are about eight minutes over the scheduled time for this. So uh, do you want to take the music break, come back and finish that part up? Uh, uh, you know what, let's, let's take yeah, the let's, music break. Yeah, let's do that. Let's yeah, come back I, on I the wasn't other even, We were such in the flow with this, I, I completely forgot about <laughs> the music break. Right, exactly. So we'll, we'll come back on the other side, we'll open up the phone lines uh, for people to say a few things, and then we'll finish up with our, what we saw. It's only three or four more left that we have to cover, right? So uh, let's yeah. go ahead and play tonight's musical segment, Abolitionist Music. It's Locksmith, Black Holocaust. We'll be right back. Yeah. How real is this? Yeah. Okay, look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a symbol. It's another wealthy liberal throwing up a virtue signal. Another rich Republican funneling corporate dollars to muzzle black voices. We're stuck with two choices, an open racist or a closet bigot. Either way, we're only given a certain limit to pivot. So be mindful as you move in that space. Because some of our allies are just white anarchists in blackface. And that hate creates chaos, stirring the mass doubters. Yes, black lives matter, but what happened to black power? Black businesses, black buildings, black community. Combine our dollar signs, decline qualified immunity. Control our property as we properly found sites. Patrol our own neighborhoods like the Jews in Crown Heights. Or the Chinese in every metropolitan. Every sketch you profile them in is part of a larger net that they caught us in. I call a trend how I see a trend. The only way to stop Racial oppression is killing it while it's deep within I'm peeking in at the legislation that led this nation Till it's on demise, so I surmise you better express frustration I'm speaking off the cuff, but I don't leave no creases They still got us in cuffs after we leave the precinct That's if you make it there, but they don't make it there You can't compare disparity sparingly, who's prepared? Newsflash, CNN is just as bad as Fox they coaxing black emotion to coincide with a notion They're swinging their direction instead of true self-reflection Projecting a biased view to use you for the election We are not ex-slaves, knock the falseness off We are survivors of the transatlantic holocaust African genocide that lives inside this continent Until America can admit to that, this is the consequence so when did racism make its cause? The term white didn't exist until miscegenation laws. Europeans were Europeans and Africans were tribal. They used two weapons, a leather whip and a Bible. It's more vital than ever for those lesser. So stop with the gimmicks that mimic our oppressor. I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. From out the concrete, still a rose can grow. Whoa. That was Locksmith, 
with Black Holocaust. Uh, man, he tied everything we were talking about up into his song, didn't he? He killed it, man. Yes, he like, did. Was talking about right yes, he did. All right. So uh, we want to give other people opportunity to say some things about what they've heard. We've got some folks who have listened to, with us to the entire series, and I'd like to uh, certainly get a few comments from them. Uh, if you're listening, our number is 515-605-9814. We're live, so call us at 515-605-9814. If you've got a question or comment, press the number one on your uh, phone pad so that we'll know you want to participate. So uh, are you ready? I'm sitting here with Shannon Smith uh, from Same Urge, the clerk of Same Urge, and she's been listening to the program live. And she's listened to the last 19 episodes, uh, just like we have, of uh, Frederick Douglass's uh, narratives. Uh, and uh, here she is. Give her a chance to say a few things. Hey, Sean. Hey, Max. Hey. Hello, Brother Youssef. How are you? Hey, Sharon. Great to have you. Yeah. So and I thank you wanna... for your continued support. Oh, my goodness. It is my honor and pleasure to be standing around in the background watching you brothers work. (laughs) Seriously. Seriously. I have watched this show from the very beginning or listened to it and watched how you've grown and how you've, you know, how well you work together and all the work that goes on in the background, the research the documented finding of material that works with. I mean, it's just amazing to watch. Thank you. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. I really do. So we appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I want to read a Frederick Douglass quote for my Quaker friends. Okay. Um, because we're struggling with racism in the Quaker community right now. So this quote is, is, is right on. So here it is. Those who profess to favor freedom and yet deprecate agitation are men who want crops without plowing up the ground. Frederick Douglass. Mm-hmm. So Max. <laughs> well, before you give it back to me, was there any point during the series uh, that stood out for you about Frederick Douglass's, uh, Isaac Davis reading Frederick Douglass, any particular episode that stood out for you? I couldn't name one particular episode, but I do want to say that that was one of my favorite segments of the show because I have read um, some of Frederick Douglass's work, um, and not all, certainly, but he just struck me as, such an incredibly intelligent um, and committed man. You know, the, yeah. when you know his history, that he taught himself to read, and he set right. about to do what he felt he needed to do, you know, in his time. And the, the his insights are just so powerful, especially because they're so timely. You know, not not much has changed in all these hundreds of years. All the same characters are here. We just call them different names. Mm. Slavery by another name, exactly. And that's you know, right. it's the same Slavery stuff. By name. Different years. That's that's all it is. All right, I'm giving it back to Max. 
Much appreciated. I, I, I also wanted to get the voice of one of our team members who, again, listened to all of the episodes right along with us, and that's Jeanette Smith. So, Jeanette, I am uh, going to unmute you there. Oh, wait a minute. That's the wrong one. My bad. Here we go. Uh, I'm meeting Jeanette. Hey, Jeanette. Uh, welcome to Abolition Today. Thank you. Thank hey. you so much. Hey, Jeanette. I'm feeling, hey, hey, I'm feeling just like Sharon. I'm just honored to be in your presence, both of you. I'm I'm so proud of you guys. The show is incredible, and I am glad to say that I've listened to every single episode, and you guys are just spitting out the knowledge and all the research that you do and this the whole thing with the bridging the gap and Frederick Douglass and how you tie it all into what's happening today and giving us all of that is so great. And I, I can't believe what an incredible show you guys have. Wow. Thank, thank you very you. much. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it's it's really good. And, and just everything. Um, I, I did want to also do like Sharon. I had a couple of Frederick Douglass quotes and they're related to gaining knowledge and I believe that's what you guys are giving and and one is um, one that Max says all the time knowledge makes a man unfit to be a slave Mm -hmm. and I I believe that the knowledge that you guys are giving people you're just you're going to destroy the slavery and I believe it and I'm (laughs) hoping we all get to see it and uh, I did have another um, two quotes And they're also related to um, knowledge and getting rid of ignorance. One is I prefer to be true to myself, even at the hazard of incurring the ridicule of others, rather than to be false and to incur my own abhorrence, Frederick Douglass. And then the last one is this one because it so applies, like Sharon said, with what's happening today. You could think that Frederick Douglass was with us right now because it's where justice is denied, where poverty is enforced, where ignorance prevails, and where everyone, any one class is made to feel that society is an organized conspiracy to oppress, rob, and degrade them. Neither persons nor property will be safe. Mm. And that, mm. that just feels mm. like today. And I just wanted to... Um, tell you guys that I feel like you're uh, giving us all so much knowledge and I appreciate it all all that I get from you guys the knowledge and I would also recommend that people if they haven't listened to all um, of the episodes that they go to abolitiontoday.org and listen to some of the archives because you guys are building on everything so if you listen Mm. to one you, you guys are going back and I feel like I have a foundation from having listened to all of it. You can listen to one and get so much, but if you listen to all of them, it's incredible. It's incredible. So I wanted to thank you guys. Yeah, we, just wanted to say that. Uh, thank you. Jeanette, appreciate much appreciate your sentiment. Okay. Uh, and all you're right. right. We you have guys. created what is virtually a abolitionist masterclass. So any aspect of the system that you want, to do to know more about we're pretty much covering those uh so you can have them like in this episode what we're talking about now so yeah that was 
that was uh, nice to hear. Much appreciated. We we're trying our best. Um, okay, if you thank want you to guys. say anything yet, thank you, Jeanette. If anyone else wants to say anything, we're at 515-605-9814. You just heard from Sharon Smith and Jeanette Smith. Uh, and we're going to leave the lines open for a few more minutes. But we, while we wait for another caller, if there are any, we're going to wrap up these last three points that we wanted to make about what was happening, uh, what Frederick was saying in his summations after all that we had heard. Uh, would you like to start, Yusuf? Sure. So he stated we need special efforts to guard our rights from those who would deny us such. When he said it, that time wasn't even at the door. So the question is, is it at the door now? My answer is no. What say you, Max? I say the same thing, that it's not at the door right now. Uh, We just talked about that throughout this program, and that was one of the things that Frederick really focused on, that although we have these rights guaranteed us through the Constitution, those rights are not enforced, and, and that's a big problem. So uh, yeah, there are people out there who would deny us those rights, and they are very much involved with the government that is making that happen. So it's not at the door now. No, not at all. All you got to do is look at the numbers, and that's convincing enough. Right, and well, when it goes to – because he, he, I like how he covered it from both ends. We said public opinion and a government to enforce it. So when we look at right. public opinion – there's still a large faction of the public that just looking at us like, what are we complaining about? I mean, they told LeBron James to shut. Up. They told LeBron James to shut up and dribble. <laughs> you know, yeah. And and many times when a professional athlete or a professional entertainer speaks out, you know, for rights, you know, they say, "Oh, I feel so oppressed. I have a multi-million dollar contract. This is what." You know, people were saying, you know, in social media circles and everything in their comments, as if if you're part of that group of people where you're successful in entertainment or music or sports, that you should just shut up and do what you're doing because you have nothing to complain about and you shouldn't care about the rest of the people. That's what they right. that's the public opinion for a large group of people. Oh, yeah. It's not even at the door. That's not at the door. That's what I pointed out earlier, that it can happen to any of us at any time. There is no amount of money that protects you, that can cover up your blackness when you're out here in a white world. (laughs) They don't ask you how much money you got in the bank before they shoot you. (laughs) Right. In fact, with the, you know, the NBA has just started back up with them in the bubble, and part of their support is they're putting different sayings on the back of their jerseys. And so Jimmy Butler went to suit up yesterday, and he put on a jersey that had nothing on the back of it, not even his name. And so, of course, they forced him to put something, you know, with his name. And his explanation was, you know, when I'm off this court and I'm out in the street, I'm just a regular black man, and everything that's happening to everybody else can happen to me as well. So he was making that clear that there's no distinction. So, you know, I applaud Jimmy Butler for taking that stance as well. You know, he mentioned racial discrimination in employment. And the question is, is is that still here? And he mentioned blacks being turned away from hotels and trains. Does that still happen? 
like you, I had to say affirmative to both of them. I have literally seen the numbers of racial discrimination in employment. We all know the studies that have come out about how if you have a black-sounding name versus a white-sounding name, the odds are like three to one that they won't call you back. Uh, and, and as far as getting turned away from hotels and trains, there's viral vid- videos all over the place of multiple occasions mm-hmm. where black people are turned away from hotels and facilities just for the color of their skin or uh, they are profiled because of that. That's all over the place. And I remember those three sisters that was on their way on a train to a wine tasting thing. They got kicked off the train. Remember that? And uh, yeah. they ended up awarding them some money and a trip and stuff like that. But those things are still happening. So they were happening in 1870, and here we are in 2000 with the same damn things going on, which means we've got the same problems happening. Uh, Yusuf? Yeah, and I mean, just carrying it further, you know, you had an incident where a young brother was making a delivery for one of the delivery services. I don't recall which one, but... The woman, you know, there's a woman blocking him from going into the building and the person over the intercom is saying, look, I ordered food. And, you know, that woman ended up having to come down to the door to get her food because this other woman wouldn't even let him in the building. You know, and there's so many instances like that where people actually live in buildings and people are blocking their entrance into their buildings, you know, because there's just no way you live here. You know, that type of that type of attitude. You know, a young, a young teenager the other day was riding his bike, you know, and a guy pretending to be a police officer held this young kid, you know, made him stand there with his arms in the air until the police got there, you know, and this guy was actually claiming to be a police officer, and thankfully he wound up getting charged for doing it, but he called them, called the police saying that, you know, that he believes this kid had broken into something and stolen the bike that he was riding on, as if we can't afford to buy bikes. We can't live in certain neighborhoods. You know, this is always the idea. And I mean, it happens to me a lot because of some of the areas that, you know, I've lived in and some of the places I've traveled to. And it's always, you know, remember we had we had a clip a few weeks ago where it was, what is it? what is it to be a problem? When you consider the problem, just the right. color of our skin makes it a problem many times. Just the mere fact of the person's skin color, it's what is he doing here? You know, or there's a problem. Or who is this guy? Being a yeah, you just don't belong here. An alien. Yeah, so, again, going back to public anywhere. opinion. See, the courts can only do so much when it comes to what happens in employment and in accommodations, but just the general public. I mean, just the mere fact I can walk down a street and someone automatically has a problem with me just walking down the street just because of the color of my skin. So, <laughs> yeah, it's still yeah, the case to answer Frederick's say. question. Still that. And here's the last one. Um, he mentioned the venomous use of the derogatory anti-black slurs being used everywhere. Is that still the case? Is there a place in America where no one might call you a nigger? And there's a question mark at the end of that. Is there such a place? I can't think of anywhere. Yeah, 
it's still there. I mean, now, part of the video because of my size, uh, because of my size, they may not say it out loud. <laughs> they may look at me and say, oh, "Nah, I don't want it with him." <laughs> so I'm gonna say it under my breath. <laughs> but it's still yeah, in that's, the mind. All you gotta do is get them angry. You you see it all the time. People are the politicians, they hold all kinds of positions, school boards, everything. And as soon as they get upset, that 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 barrier that they've kept up that's sort of uh kept them in check, they lose it when they get upset. And it just comes that's out. It, it comes it. out. Well, Yusuf, uh, there was one thing that I did want to bring uh to the conversation that we just had and that was earlier when we were talking about the discrimination in employment and being turned away from hotels and trains, and then we talked about the housing. Didn't the president just recently promise to suburbians that they would no longer have to deal with that problem, meaning that basically we're going back to redlining again, uh, as if yeah. that even actually ever ended, right? Didn't he just which, say that? Which he himself has a history of that. Yeah, he huh? said it, and he has a history of that himself. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we have come to pretty much the conclusion of this, so uh, we got a couple of things we got to do, so we got to wrap it up. Looks Lisa. like we have but a caller. We have a caller? Yeah. Uh, what did you say? An 803651 number. It looks like they raised their hand oh. to speak. Um, okay. Uh, I thought that was Jeanette. Let's let's see. I think that is Jeanette. All right, 803651. Uh, uh, mic is open. Hi, this is Tribal Rain calling in. You're white. Oh, Yes, I commend the two of you for your strength of character. I mean, I've been here from the very beginning, and I've watched this whole thing grow, and I've watched you two stand up and put on the mantle of the ancestors who have gone before. No one knows how hard it is to stand and face the storm dead on, eye to eye, unflinching. And you two do that well. No one knows how hard it is or the struggle that you go through. This is a... 24 7, 365 day of the year thing that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I sit here every day and watch the two of you do the research. I mean, literally, you live, breathe, and speak <laughs> slavery. <laughs> you yeah. have made it your mission in life, the two of you. To teach others not only about their rights, that slavery still exists. It never ended. And I've watched you two have long conversations. I've watched you cry while going through this whole process and doing the research and seeing what has been done, not only in the past, but in the future. I've listened to the two of you agonize over the plight of our children, what their future will be. 
So this radio show is a necessary, necessary step in keeping our people informed and in opening their eyes because they've been hoodwinked. A lot of them have been hoodwinked, and it's some of it is their fault, but most of it is because they are not educating our children on our history as it mm-hmm. happened. And you two are mm-hmm. doing that. And I just wanted to commend you and say thank you very much. And I love the two of you a lot. God, mm-hmm. love you too, Sally. Love you too. Love you, Sally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love you, baby. Thank you. Much appreciated. You're welcome. Yeah. Much appreciated. That- uh, when your wife is proud of you, you know you're doing well, man. Yeah, you're doing something <laughs> right, man, because nobody knows you better than her. Too bad you didn't know my phone number. I, I you know, because names don't time. come up on the board. Like, I don't know it by heart. <laughs> Thank you, man. Oh, you're talking you know Max, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Max doesn't out. know the number. Shame on you, brother. <laughs> Listen, man, there's a story behind everything. Don't just take everything at face value, all right? Oh, I know. Uh, I, listen. Said, uh, I know you all, man. So let's do a, let's just, just do a quick summation of the program tonight, and then we'll mention our sponsors and introduce our brand-new uh, segment, which is uh, Bridging the Gap, brand-new content. So, uh, Yusuf, anything you want to say about the summation of tonight's broadcast? You know, I would say that, again, as I said earlier, I'm saddened that it's over, you know, but mm-hmm. so much was learned in these, what was it, 19 episodes that we covered it, 19 mm-hmm. episodes of dealing with uh, Frederick Douglass and reading his narrative. It was just so informative. And one thing that I didn't get to, and it's just an article that I'll mention I hope everyone reads it, and it's entitled Protest or an Outward Expression of Something that is Burning Within Black Americans. And I think the author captures a lot of, of what, was Fred, what Frederick was stating, as we mentioned in previous episodes, where it talks about the uh, McComb Commission and the other commissions that were formulated in the heels of many of the uprisings, and you see how it all ties into everything that Frederick taught us over the last 19 weeks. So depth of the summation, I'll pass off to you, Max, because I know you're going to take a deep dive on it. Man, you, you assume too much, man. <laughs> I, might just I know you, man. I know you. Um, no, no, basically, uh, he summed it all up for us. He's the teacher. We're the students. We're learning, yeah. and we learn tonight. Uh, we, we heard his predictions. We heard his warnings. We see the reflections of those things occurring today, as he said that they would occur. And all of that was so that we would understand what the root cause of this was. And he was very clear about that as well, this new system that would replace slavery and how they devised it to create it as it is today. And at some point in the very near future, we're going to bring you the final conclusion, really, of Frederick Douglass's plight here in America with his speech uh, called, I denounced this so-called emancipation as a stupendous fraud. 
This happened about 25 years after uh, what he said during our 19 episodes. So 25 years later, he has all of this time and all this experience, and he traveled to the southern states to see with his own eyes. And, man, did he have something to say. And we'll be airing that on this program in the future. It's one of the things that we'll be working on. All right. Well, uh, yeah, that wraps it up. He wraps it up for us, brother. We ain't got to. We ain't got to go no deeper. Uh, we showed you the connection. He told you what's going to happen, and hopefully, everybody else is as willing to listen and learn as we were. There is no reason for us to keep re- reinventing the wheel. This fight didn't start yesterday. It didn't start the day you were born. It didn't start the day your daddy was born. It didn't even start the day his daddy was born. This fight has been going on for a long time. And there are a lot of people who gave their lives and created the best strategies you could ever imagine. And we're learning from them right here on Abolition Today. Yusuf? Yes, sir. As Billy Joel would say, we didn't start the fire. It was always burning. (laughs) It was always burning. All right. uh, Well, let me thank our sponsors, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, uh, the I Am We Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, Same Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, uh, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, and Punks for Progress. We appreciate all the support that we get from our sponsors and partners to help us get uh, these messages out into the wider world. And I'm so happy that now we are on all the major platforms. So that really opens up the door for us to reach so many more people. All right, so yeah. final quotes for the evening. Yeah. I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Final quotes for the evening? Yes, I have two quotes. One is from a young woman by the name of Rupi Kaur, and she's just a millennial who had something really important to say. I thought it was very profound, and she stated, something is terribly wrong if the pain, sorrow, and outrage of a people makes you more uncomfortable than murder itself. And the other one comes from Eli Weissel, the well-known author and Holocaust survivor, he stated, I swore never to be silent whenever and wherever human beings endure suffering and humiliation. We must take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. Powerful, powerful. All right. Uh, I'm going to keep it going with Frederick Douglass, and I think this is really the summation of it all. He said, I expose slavery in this country because to expose it is to kill it. Slavery is one of those monsters of darkness to whom the light of truth is both slavery and it dies. Frederick Douglass from My Bondage and My Freedom. Uh, I really appreciate you being here tonight. My name is Max Parthas. Thank you uh, for the support and for listening, and we'll see you next week with our special guest, uh, which is going to be Kyle Canty. Uh, so make sure you look for us with that. It's a brother that was way ahead of himself, uh, way ahead of everybody else, and uh, he was an asylum seeker in Canada. <laughs> Back when we all should have been supporting him, he was way ahead of us. But I'll see you next week, and we'll have him as our guest co-host. Peace. Peace, Yusuf. Hey, peace, Max. So like to introduce our new Bridging the Gap segment from the Black Abolitionist Archives, 
a speech by abolitionist Lunford Lane, read by Britt L. Castaneda. I'd like to say thank you and congrats to Britt. Weeks ago, we asked our listeners and supporters to choose a speech from the Black Abolitionist Archives and record a recital, then send it to us. There are speeches by abolitionists that have never been heard aloud since the day they were spoken during the 1800s. Starting tonight, we air our first of these submissions. So again, this is a speech by abolitionist Lunsford Lane, read by Britt L. Castaneda. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube page for all the news, information, and music you hear on this program. If you if what you see and hear moves you, then share, share, share. Until next week, think about abolition today. Peace and blessings be upon you all. Abolition. 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 Hello. My name is Britt Castaneda, and I'm reading speeches from the Black Abolitionist Archives. Today I'm reading a speech given by Lunsford Lane describing how he purchased his family from slavery. This was published in the Western Citizen in 1842. Mr. Chairman, it is a source of great rejoicing to my heart to present to this meeting these in whom my life consists. I have for 12 months been going from house to house and from place of business to place of business to tell my story and ask for help so that my history is known to you and many others. In 1838, I made a bargain with the man who held my wife and children to pay him $2,500 for their freedom. After I had raised $620 and paid it, very severe laws were passed forbidding colored people to remain in the state. I received a notice from two justices of the peace requiring me to leave within 20 days. It prostrated my hopes. My money was lost. My bright expectations were lost. My family was lost, and I was lost, of course. I went round among my friends, for I had some friends there, and asked their advice. Mr. Manley, a lawyer, my tried friend, though he is a slaveholder, advised me to get up a petition, praying the legislature allow me to remain. They were to convene in about three months. Where did you live? said a voice in the crowd. You've not told us that yet. At Raleigh N.C. It took me nearly three months to get my petition ready and get it signed by the leading men in the place. When the legislature met, I called on the members. I went from boarding house to boarding house with my petition and stood upon the steps of the state house to meet them when they came in. While they read the petition, I talked and cried, For what? For those in whom my life was hid, after reading my position, many of them told me it would have been better for me if I had remained a slave. Then, they said, you could not have been ordered to leave the state and be separated from your wife and children. It should be remembered that Mr. Lane had paid $1,000 for himself before he could begin to purchase the freedom of his family. This fact he modestly kept out of sight till it was stated by another. After a while, my petition was brought before the legislature, but they drove it out of the house. I was then taken into court to see if I could not be made a slave for staying in the state against the law. It so happened 
that these who were trying to get me into slavery were not ready to meet the case, and I succeeded by the help of my friend Mr. Manley, getting it put off three months. When that time was nearly gone, Mr. Manley told me that as the others were not ready before, he could go manage it, that I should not be ready. He did so, but I need not tell how. The case was again put off three months, and I began to hope that I should escape and not again be entangled with the yoke of bondage. But at length, the time for the trial drew near. Mr. Manley told me it would certainly go against me, and that I had better leave the state. It was hard to leave my family, but I dared not stay. I took one of my little girls and fled on the night of the 18th of May, a year ago. I went to Massachusetts and placed my daughter in Boston, where on the 14th of April I left her. I had her in school to which I had never in my life had the honor of carrying a pitcher of water to the scholars. My story was told, and many who never saw me heard of it, and many sent their money. I raised $1,400. I wanted but 1380 but I raised 14 yes, 15 I then did not wish to get into danger if I could help it. So I wrote to Mr. Smith, who held my family, asking him to get a writing from the governor, permitting me to come into the state to pay the money and take them away. My letter was dated the 5th of April, and on the 12th an answer was received. It stated that the governor said he had no authority for granting me a written permission to come into the state, but he authorized Mr. Smith to write that I might come and remain 20 days with perfect safety. On the 11th of April I left Boston and arrived at Raleigh the 23rd. I had no expectation of staying 20 days and did not fear any danger, but I was disappointed. Two constables came at night and took me from the house and carried me to the state house. On the way, they told me I had been giving anti-slavery lectures in Massachusetts. They said they had full proof of it and that I need not deny it. Seven in the morning, they kicking down my mama's door. Now tell me what is this motherfucking drama for? Can a nigga get rest at the rest without the stress? Then they put the lock to my chest back. Think for a switch or a pop. Off to the clink with this bitch ass cap. They got a nigga locked like the dread on my head jack. And if I try to fight back, well then I'm dead black. I got the right to an attorney in the state salad. They got the right to try to burn me if I play valid. I know the game, so I just roll with the procedure. A legal search and seizure. Something that they do and that they leisure. Down at the station, interrogation is taking place. Overcrowded jails, but for me to make the space. Tell the devil to his face, he can suck my dick. It's the whole black race that they fucking with. Come to find my crime was letting brothers know the time on the devil and stopping them from eating swine. And plus my prior record still my fate. One for all and then God we trust. Got me sent up state. But still I won't bite my tongue I just write tight shit to incite the young To fight the one who keeps them on the level that's minimal And that's the number one I 
was frustrated, I can't do no more push-ups. Niggas be swole up, locked down cause of a hole up. The devil made me do it, what I say. Got some bad news on my one phone call the other day. I love the kids and I teach them to love their father. I'll get you some kicks and try to send some flicks, but it's over. Baby, yes, it's over. Ain't much you can do when you're holding the phone. A million inmates, but you're still alone. You're not crying, but inside you're dying. You might cry in the night when you're safe and out of sight. Damn, I miss my beats in the rides in the deeps in my casual freedom. Where's my crew when I need them? A visit ain't the same like being in the game, but I'll take it. At least with that, I'll make it. The beast is a bitch and I see it. I do the knowledge to him, so next time I can do him. Yo, ex, I got the lock in now, but write me real soon. I know that you're a busy man. Give me a minute. You could never know the scene after you've been locked the fuck up in it. Some of the things that we have done, number one, I got a bill in for the legislature right now to take the traffickers. Now, the traffickers, these are people that take drugs. These are guys that are named D-Money, Smoothie, Shifty, uh, these type of guys that come from Connecticut, New York. They come up here, they sell their heroin, then they go back home. Incidentally, half the time they impregnate a young white girl before they leave. Which is a real sad thing because then we have another issue that we've got to deal with down the road. We're going to make them very severe sound, very severe sound. Yeah. Okay. 